Welcome to A Moment of Bach, where we take our favorite moments from the composer's vast musical output, just a minute's worth or even a few seconds, and show you why we think they are remarkable. We are your hosts, Christian Giebert and Alex Giebert. Earlier this year, we took a request from Edward to check out the first of the three chorale preludes for organ on the tune Allein Gott in der Höhe sei er, BWV 662, 3 and 4, we covered 662, and now we will take a look at the second one, 663. Johann Quantz, German flutist and composer and writer of an important musical treatise on playing the flute, had opinions that weren't all about flute and certainly knew about the organ and said of Bach, the admirable Johann Sebastian Bach has at length in modern times brought the art of the organ to its greatest perfection. It is only to be wished that after his death it may not decline or be wholly lost on account of the small number of those who still bestow any pains upon it. Just like fugue and other Baroque forms, including this type of chorale prelude that we're looking at today, were starting to become old-fashioned by the next generation, when Bach's sons, a few of them, especially Johann Christian, started to gain some reputation as composers and performers and conductors. Some of these old forms were really starting to get out of style, and not just the old forms, but the instruments, the organ as a performance instrument, while it never really left the consciousness of Western classical music, it experienced a bit of a dip after the Baroque era and then came back in a strong way later. Now, what we have from Bach, of course, is a huge amount of organ-specific works that are to be played in a specific style. Johann Forkel, the biographist of Bach, said, when we compare Bach's clavier compositions, that is, harpsichord in this case, with those for the organ, we perceive that the melody and harmony in the two are of an entirely different kind. Now, listeners who heard the episode two weeks ago, you might remember we talked about a fugue from the Well-Tempered Clavier, which is for harpsichord. And sure enough, Bach writes these things much differently when he writes for the organ. These sort of chorale preludes that Bach was writing on the organ, stylistically, are a little more ancient shouldn't say ancient, but just are a little more tried and true, and Bach was building on the foundations of the early Baroque German composers. If you look at composers like Walter, Scheidt, and then Bach's Tehuda and Pachelbel and things like that, the generations before Bach, you get these, uh, these organ masters who perfected this chorale prelude style. And what they would do is they would start with the first little snippet of a familiar chorale melody, and make that into an imitative little fugal section to introduce the piece. And then, in the middle of that, they would insert, sometimes, the full chorale into it. Other times they would just fugue off of that first little bit. Bach, in his penchant for making things a little more complicated, used this format but made sure that it was sufficiently complex in his way, switching off the amount of voices that are happening. Uh, It's not always just a three-part thing or a four-part thing, for example. In this one, we get a lot of three versus four part and a lot of switching off and a lot of obfuscating of the actual melody itself. 
It's almost like a treasure hunt you have to go on when you listen to these things to try and find the hymn tune that you know. And here, the hymn tune you might know is Allein Gott in der Höhe sei er. This is the second one of three that Bach did on this tune in, in a row here. And in English, that hymn is usually known as All Glory Be to God on High. So at the beginning here, we get these little snippets of the melody. The first thing we hear is a pedal tone on this note. Bum. It jumps up in octaves, so G, G, A, B, like that. And for this hymn tune, if you know the hymn tune, it's da, 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 da. So it's, it's those beginning notes. And also, if you listen to the more florid treble clef line that he's playing in the right hand, it's that's really where the melody is, right? So it's right there. It's all right there. It's all contained in the first few bars. We talk about this with Bach fugues. We talk about this with everything with Bach, but the introduction contains everything. Whether it's a cantata, the introduction contains the whole affect of what you're about to hear the voices sing, or something like this, where before we get to the main chorale melody, the cantus firmus of the chorale melody, he is still giving us everything at the beginning. You can extrapolate it here. And Bach, as well as other Baroque composers, as long as they're not doing some kind of fantasia form, or like a toccata or something, as long as they're not doing that, you can almost always just extrapolate what the rest of the piece is going to be like by listening to the first few measures. Is he going to, after a few bars, repeat this type of thing in the dominant key? Uh, yeah, he is, because that's what the form is suggesting for him to do. Is he going to then hit us with the actual chorale melody. Well, he subverts that a little here by starting it in the bass, and you think he's going to do it right here. Bum, 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 bum. First four notes, similar to the first four notes of Oh, When the Saints Go Marching In, right? And it's it just happens to be those first four pitches, and we hear it in the pedals. think that's him starting the chorale melody for real now. No, he's not starting it yet. He's just still, this is part of an intro. Now listen to this rising figure in the hands as the bass stays steady. That right there is going to be similar to our moment, my favorite moment of the piece, which happens at the very end, but he's setting it up right now so that that ending will be even more impactful when we get there. And then, like I said, you have to, sometimes it's like a treasure hunt. You have to find it in there. Here is the real start of the melody, the melody that will carry us very slowly through this entire hymn tune, through this whole seven minutes of this piece. It's just one iteration of the, of the hymn tune, just seven lines of text, that's all, but he really spirals it out into this whole thing. You hear it in the left hand in a slightly more reedy sound, than the rest of the organ texture. See if you can hear that sound. 
Now that is simply an ornamented version of this. That was it, the first line. There are seven of these lines. A nice structure, a lot of German hymn tunes have this structure with seven lines. And it's, it's satisfying because you get line one and two. Line one, a question. Line two, it's answer. Then the repetition of those lines for three and four. Then five and six are both questioning. And six actually ends a little bit more unsure. But then seven brings us back with the more final answer than even the ones on two and four. And then you get that closure without having eight lines, which seems like it'd be more natural. It's not needed. And of course, seven is a symbolic number of perfection. Anyway, so you get that as almost a bonus. So fascinating to me is the way that Bach wraps up the sixth line. I said the sixth line was going to be the one with the most drama. Isn't it perfect then that if we follow the middle verse of this hymn, the one about Jesus Christ, because these verses have to do with the Trinity, so I'm looking at the very middle one, and we'll unpack specifics about that. That's actually oversimplifying, but we'll get there in a second. But anyway, the middle one, the verse about Jesus Christ. When you get to line five, six, line six is, from out of our depths we sinners cry. And this is a, not exactly what the German says, but it is a little more accept our plea from our need. It's still that Psalm 130 type of out of the depths we cry to you, Lord, plea. That's the psalm that gets used a lot of times for Lutheran confession. Just when you think that that line is wrapping up in Bach's chorale prelude here, he then gives us a little bit of extra at the end of that sixth line in almost a little cadenza moment here where the rest of the texture drops away. until it lands in a bit of a pained chord. And then it picks up again with a texture. This leads us into our seventh final line of text here. The organ sounding a little more like it did at the beginning again. mercy on us, amen. Or have mercy on us, Jesus, depending on the translation. This makes sense because that last word of the sixth line with that strange cadenza is not. 
which is like our need, our prayer for hardship, or also translated as like distress. Mm. It's probably the depths word of out of the depths we cry to you, right? Yeah. From Psalm 130. Some of those words, like they might translate better. I'm sure this is a, a little bit coincidental, but they might translate better from Hebrew into German because that word seems to be a word that is used a lot in Hebrew in the Psalms. And Germans might just have a word that fits a little better to that meaning. Whereas English, we kind of have to use a bunch of adjectives to make that meaning happen. So Bach brings us into this final line here with the most florid thing of all. In fact, he gives us all this twisty motion in the left hand right here. When we're finally about to arrive on the close of the melody here, it doesn't even resolve, it doesn't even come to a perfect cadence right on the last note. And actually, Christian, this is typical. It's something I've noticed when I've studied these more often. Have you noticed this? When he lands on the last note of the Cantus Firmus, a lot of times it's a first inversion chord. And he because he's not done yet, so he he's not ready to wrap up yet. And if you landed a cadence right there, then the rest of it would feel like a sort of forced extension of the coda. But here, if you can land it towards not final yet on this first inversion thing here, then it's a lot smoother for him to wrap up an extended cadence. And he's going to do that. He's going to spend eight more measures holding, well, it's actually 10 more measures, holding this G out while the rest of the music kind of winds down. And it sounds like it's winding down here. Listen to those notes falling. Which is how the end of the melodic phrase of the hymn falls. The notes are going down, right? But now the notes are starting to rise. And here comes my favorite moment of the piece, just near the end. That turn there. Now I want to listen to those last four measures or so again and listen to how those notes rise. And also listen to how the pedal point is below it, which is just the simple G being held out by the pedal and by the left hand, which is the end of the melody. Those are just anchoring us, right? While the rest of it is a prayer going up to heaven. And listen to the way those notes just ascend gloriously until they finally reach the targeted tonic note, the note that sounds satisfying for them to finally get to. This is actually kind of unusual for Bach to do this, to end by going up. It reminds me of the ending of the first fugue in C major, the mm. Volta mm -hmm. Yep. So it just ascends to heaven. Yeah, and, but flies it's away. usually in Baroque music and classical music and much of Western common practice period music, it's like music finds its way down to a resolution 
the, the melodic stuff on top kind of floats down to the tonic note. The sort of infamously reductionistic approach of what's called Schenkerian analysis of music purports to be a way of showing that all music does this at the end, falls into the tonic. And, you know, it's not always that simple. And here we have something going up. Now, I guess Schenker, you could say that Schenker's point is proven here because well, the he hymn would, tune, yeah. the he hymn tune is the thing. He would have called all of this a coda. Yeah, this is, this and all. it is, actually, that's that's true. It is a, it is a coda because the hymn tune has ended and it did fall down. And so he, I mean, he's he's seeing a pattern and that makes sense. But I, I just think that this very end here, usually Bach doesn't do this. And I think this is really interesting. And the way he chooses to resolve the final chord is cool too, because in the penultimate measure, it's like there's that E flat that gives it some interesting color. But then that resolves. And then in the last measure of notes, we get what really is just a simple little two chord resolving to a sort of a leading tone triad that just kind of jumps right up to the G. It's, it's almost cute. It's very peaceful. Same as the Fugue see C major ending. Yeah, and it's almost the same harmony there too, right? It's exactly the same. It's last five notes are voiced the same and everything. So when you listen to these chorale preludes, listener, I think it can be a little bit intimidating sometimes to try and find this chorale tune by picking it out of the texture whether you know it or not, by trying to find some sort of tune in there, because Bach really makes it hard to find sometimes, and that is by design. So I always encourage people to just listen and don't worry about analyzing, at least the first time you listen. And then later, look at it with a score, or later just listen to it again after having hummed the hymn tune to yourself or listened to that somewhere else, or however you want to approach it. And then come into this with a little bit more of an analytical ear to get something else out of it. Then once you know the piece well enough and have already studied how the hymn tune fits into it and locks into it, then your enjoyment of the piece on future listens will become less cerebral again, but you will just be hearing that tune automatically in there, which is really satisfying because it just feels like you truly know the piece. So then, Alex, about the text, about the stanzas of the hymn. We discussed the first stanza in a previous episode. It talks about God's good will shown towards men and peace reigning on earth. It's very much the German Gloria in Excelsis Deo. Hmm. And then stanzas two, three, and four. The second stanza is about the Father, God the Father. So it's Trinitarian. The one that we're assuming is being set to music here in this chorale prelude is the one about the sun, which means that there will be a third one to complete the set, and that will be about the Holy Spirit. Yep, and we plan on covering that in a future episode. And now, here is the ending of the second setting of the Alain Gott tune from the great 18 chorale preludes.
If this introduction to a musical moment has inspired you to hear the rest of the piece, please see the link in the episode description to see the performance recorded online. Find us on your podcast app and subscribe to us so that you can get your episodes downloaded automatically. Okay, Christian, where are we looking at next week? Next week, we take a listener request to return to Cantata 40, Dartsu ist erschienen, dir Sohn Gottes. Until next time, enjoy those moments. Thank you.